Well, church, as we begin, I want to I want to share a story um, that's come out of World War One. It's a story that's endured for generations that I find really impactful and and pretty relevant, uh, especially this morning in relation to what we're going to be talking about. An article from History.com, it begins telling the story this way. It says, on Christmas Eve 1914, in the dank, muddy trenches on the Western Front of the First World War, a remarkable thing happened. Now, remarkable thing is what became known as the Christmas truce. When men on the front lines who were enemies at war laid down their weapons and came together in what was truly a miraculous response, given the circumstances that they were in to Christmas. And there's descriptions of the Christmas truce that are recorded in a number of diaries, in a number of letters from soldiers that took part in this unofficial and completely unsanctioned uh, truce. One soldier named Bruce Barron's father, he was a British machine gunner on the front lines in Belgium. He wrote this, he said, Here I was in this horrible clay cavity miles and miles from home, cold, wet through, and covered with mud. There didn't seem the slightest chance of leaving except in an ambulance. At about 10 p.m. I listened. Away across the field among the dark shadows beyond, I could hear the murmur of voices. The Germans were singing Christmas carols as it was Christmas Eve. In the darkness, some of the British soldiers began to sing back. Suddenly we heard a confused shouting from the other side. The enemy soldier was saying, come over here. One of the British sergeants answered, you come halfway, I come halfway. Baron's father goes on to describe how soldiers on both sides started to slowly climb out of their trenches and meet in the barbed wire filled no man's land that separated them. And in that space, the soldiers sang songs together, and they shared tobacco with one another, and they drank wine together. And Baron's father reflects, saying, There was not an atom of hate on either side. And this wasn't the only occurrence of this sort of thing. There's stories of similar experience that are recorded by troops all across the Western Front and some on the Eastern Front. Another British soldier named Jay Reading, he wrote a letter to his wife. He said, my company happened to be in the firing line on Christmas Eve and it was my turn to go into a ruined house and remain there until 6.30 on Christmas morning. During the early part of the morning, the Germans started singing and shouting all in good English. Later in the day, they came toward us and our chaps went out to meet them. I shook hands with some of the men, and they gave us cigarettes and cigars. We did not fire that day, and everything was so quiet, it seemed like a dream. In other diaries, recounted how soldiers used candles to light Christmas trees. Some soldiers tell of a game of soccer that actually broke out in no man's land. Others wrote of how men would help enemy soldiers recover their dead. And in some places, the truce even lasted for days. So when I hear a story like that, and when I reflect on a story like that, what I see in it is the power of Jesus Christ at work. What I see is a concentrated reflection of why the Prince of Peace came to earth at 
Christmas, that men who are enemies, who spend their days and nights trying to kill one another, would feel compelled to uphold peace on Christmas is a sign of what Jesus Christ came to accomplish across the nations, across the tribes of our world. You see, the Prince of Peace coming at Christmas and the work that he is accomplishing on earth is not limited to the giving of new life to individuals. That is massive. That is an incredible thing that he does. But it also involves the bringing of those individuals, regardless of race, regardless of background, regardless of experience, into peace with one another through that new life that he gives. See, so far in our series, Missing Peace, we've talked about the Prince of Peace and how he invaded the darkness as we see it in Revelation chapter 12. Last week, we looked at the battle of peace in the mind, that Jesus came to bring peace to our hearts and to our minds. And today, I want to look at the call to peace with others and the underlying cause of the missing peace that is between nations and between groups. Because when we look at divisions between nations and races and political ideologies, Jesus Christ, the Prince of Peace, is the hope and the only hope to bring reconciliation to all of those things, to bring peace to all of those divisions. Because the root cause of a lack of peace between men is alienation from the one and true God. And so that's what we want to talk about this morning. So let's pray together. Heavenly Father, I thank you for the hope of Christmas. And I thank you for what it means. I thank you that Jesus came and we celebrate at this time that the Prince of Peace came down. That this was the beginning of the next 30 plus years that Jesus would walk on this earth, bringing your kingdom, teaching people your ways that would end in the most glorious and awful of works, him dying on a cross. But that he did all of it so that he would bring peace to our hearts, peace with you, God, and peace with men. So, Father, as we talk about this this morning, sometimes we can have this perspective that this is a topic that's far away from me. But, Lord, I pray that we wouldn't have that perspective this morning. Father, I pray that we would consider the areas in our lives where there is division with others. Maybe there are people with different worldviews, different political ideas. Maybe they're within our own families. And that we would see, regardless of where the division is, you are the answer. Father, may we have hope that, that Jesus is able to bring reconciliation, not just to souls, but to men and women. So Lord, I pray that you would show us your truth this morning. In Jesus' name. So I want to reflect on how Jesus brings peace to people. And I want to do that by looking at Ephesians chapter 2, 11 to 18 that Sandy just read for us. Because in these verses, uh, the Apostle Paul is addressing a division 
that existed between the Jewish people and basically the rest of the world that was known as the Gentiles. And in these verses, Paul shows how Jesus uh, broke down what Paul calls the wall of hostility that was between the Jew and between the Gentile. And so I want to I want to look at that, and then I want to bring what we see there into our own context so that we can see how the divisions amongst people in our world today can be broken down in Jesus Christ the same way that he broke down the divisions of hostilities between Jew and Gentile. And so in these verses, Paul is addressing two things simultaneously. And I think a really good way to think about them is the difference between the cause and the symptom. So he's addressing both. There is a cause and there is a symptom. So the first thing that Paul is addressing is he's addressing the enmity, the hostility that existed between Jew and Gentile. That's the symptom. But Paul also addresses the alienation of humanity from God and the people of God. And that is the cause. And he goes on to explain the progression of moving from alienation to a place of peace with God, a place of peace with man. And then he looks at what happens. And when the the cause is dealt with, what you see is that the symptom, that enmity, subsides. It goes away. Kind of like when we go to the doctor, right? He doesn't try to treat the symptom. Hopefully, he tries to treat the cause. And when you treat the cause, the symptom goes away. And this is what we see in these verses from Paul. And so we're going to look at both the symptom and the cause this morning in Paul's context and then in our own context. And what we're going to see is that they are very similar. Things don't really change over years and generations and centuries. Things look a little bit different, but they're basically the same. Solomon said, there's nothing new under the sun. It's pretty true when you're dealing with things like division amongst people. And so beginning with the symptom, the symptom was enmity between Jew and between Gentile. But where did this enmity come from? Well, in the centuries leading up to Jesus, so basically the entire Old Testament period, there was a division between Jew and other people in the world known as Gentiles. And this was in part because the Jews, the Israelites, are God's chosen people. He set them apart from other nations that they would live differently than the corrupt nations that were around them. And God gave Israel his commandments. He gave them his law. And he gave them what Paul says in these verses, ordinances of the law. And they were to follow these things as his people. And in doing so, they would be a light to the world to show their set-apartness through their set-apartness, show God's glory to the nations. Now, if you're a Christian, this should sound familiar to you. This idea of being set apart, this idea of living according to the ways of God in order to show the glory of God to those around you. The call that he gave to Israel and the call that he gives to Christians is the same thing. We're just a continuation of the people of God under Christ called to the same thing as the Israelites were. 
And one of the results of this call for the Israelites is that there would be significant differences between how the Jews lived and how the Gentiles lived. One of these significant differences is the fact that the Jews were a monotheistic people. They believed in one God, and all of the nations around them were polytheistic. They believed that there were multiple gods, which ultimately were just false idols and demons, basically. That's what's behind false religion. And so the polytheistic, the pagan nations, had many practices that were sinful. They were wicked, which God had called his people away from. Things like child sacrifice, things like sexual immorality, prostitution, idol worship, and so on and so forth. You know, just kind of a a side note that has absolutely nothing to do with the main message here. One of the signs of a false religion, one of the signs of a man-made cult or religion or demonic cult or religion is one of two things will happen. It will have a twisted view on money. It will have a twisted view on sexuality. Look for those things, probably a false religion or false belief behind it. And that's what we see in many of the pagan nations at the time. And so because the Jews were a set-apart people under God, there was a legitimate tension between them and other nations. They held an entirely contrary worldview to the rest of the nations around them. Again, church, does that sound familiar? If you're following Jesus, that sounds familiar. Christianity is an entirely different worldview to the culture around us because God's people have always been a called out people. They have always been a set apart people called away from the kingdom of the world into the kingdom of God. And so there is legitimate separation. However, where there is separation in a fallen world, there is a danger. And that danger is the space that makes up that separation is often filled with mistrust, with anger, and with hatred. And that's what happened between the Jews and the Gentiles. And this is what will happen in any religion, in any ideology that is false, that is made by a man, that comes from the devil. Because in false religions, in false ideologies, in man-made ideas, guess what? The Holy Spirit of God is absent. And what we have to understand as fallen people is where the Spirit of God is absent, there will be division. There will be hatred. Because we are sinners. Spirit of God brings unity. Now, in the case of the Israelites, don't hear me wrong, I'm not saying that they were following a man-made religion. God gave them his law. God gave them his ordinances. But over the years, over the generations, man-centered ideas crept in. And by Jesus' time, there were over six 
hundred laws that a Jew had to follow. Just think about the fact that God gave Moses ten. Six hundred! The Jews added to God's law because they began to trust in the law. They began to trust in the ordinances that those were the things that would save them. And they missed the truth that the law and the ordinances do not save. They point to a God who saves. And when a heart turns from God, when a heart turns to the law and trusts in it instead, the only thing that follows is judgment. Judgment on whoever cannot uphold that law, uphold that ordinance according to that person's or that group's standards. And the Gentiles had no chance. They had no chance. And it led to deep hostility between them. And Paul addresses this issue in verse 11. He alludes to this very clear hostility between Jew and Gentile. But then Paul acknowledges Jew and Gentile, when you bring them before God, they're actually much more alike than the Jews would want to admit. He says in verse 11, Therefore, remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. So Paul tells us that the Jews would refer to the Gentiles as the uncircumcision. And this was meant as an insult to them. You see, circumcision was the physical outward sign that you belonged to the people of God. So this was the Jews' way of saying, you are not one of us. But Paul recognizes that insult and then he points out that while the Jews were ridiculing the Gentiles for their lack of circumcision, the ordinance of circumcision that the Jews were so trusting in had actually lost its value because they were trusting in the ordinance alone, not the God who had called them to it. So Paul levels the playing field between Jew and between Gentile, and he does this by using the word flesh to describe them both. He says, you are Gentiles in the flesh. And then he calls the Jews the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. So what is he saying? Well, he writes about what he writes about in Romans 2 gives us the answer. Paul writes in Romans chapter 2, verse 25. For circumcision is indeed of value if you obey the law. But if you break the law, your circumcision becomes uncircumcision. What is Paul saying? Paul's saying if his fellow Jews want to trust in the ordinance of circumcision as the determining factor for their uprightness with God, then they are trusting in the law. And that means they better uphold every single one of those 613 laws because if they break one, then they are no longer righteous before God. And that circumcision will count as nothing. See, here's the thing. If you want to use the law to justify yourself, whether it's before God or before others, then the law will end up condemning you. 
That's the entire reason why Jesus came. Because nobody can stand up before God did. James says it this way in chapter 2, verse 10. He says, for whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point has been guilty of all of it. Paul's like, listen, you can look down on the Gentiles because they are of the flesh, but you're in the same boat because you're trusting in an act that was done in your flesh by hands rather than in the God who gave you the ordinance. So you're all in the flesh. And if you're all in the flesh, then you're alienated from God. You know what? To hit that home, Paul, this this verse that he, or the, the saying he uses, made in the flesh with hands, in the original uh, Greek, it's actually the same term that's used for making an idol. Yikes. <laughs> Paul is basically saying you've turned circumcision into an idol. You're trusting in an idol, not in God. And then Paul goes on to say in Romans 2, verse 29, a Jew is one inwardly. And circumcision is a matter of the heart, by the Spirit, not the letter. His praise is not from man, but from God. So the Jews considered the Gentiles unclean, and they were ceremonially unclean. They were unclean before God, just as we are unclean before Jesus washes us clean. However, their uncleanness became viewed as something that meant that they were of lesser value, that they were contemptible, that they were shameful, that they were unredeemable. In church, what I would say to every single one of us this morning who follows Jesus is when you view someone as unredeemable, you are so far from the heart of God. You've completely missed the heart of God. And God would knock the Jews on their butts when he opened his kingdom wide to the Gentiles that they so despised the very ones they hated. And listen, before you think, man, you're really ragging on the Jews this morning. That's just what the text is talking about. I can flip it around and say the exact same thing about the pagan nations. It's not like the pagan nations were sitting there going, oh, woe is me, I'm not as good as you. They were like, no, we're better than you. They hated the Jews. So you can just flip it around the other way too. It's all the same. They hated each other. There was deep-rooted history of hostility between the two. Now, I don't think it's a big stretch to bring the division that we see between Jew and between Gentile into our day. I don't think it's hard for any of us to do it. There are deep-rooted hostilities and divisions amongst people, amongst people groups, amongst political groups, amongst ideological lines, amongst nations. Like you, I just keep going, right? Fill in the blank. It's everywhere. And what's interesting about it is though it looks different outwardly in our day, 
the issues themselves may be different, the cause is very much the same. Whether we're talking Jews and Gentiles thousands of years ago, or whether we're talking about people in our culture. And I would say there are two reasons for division between Jew and Gentile that are the same reasons at play in so many divisions today. Reason number one is the elevation of man-made things to a level of allegiance that they were not meant to have. Whether we're talking politics, whether we're talking false religions and ideologies, they're elevated to this level that they were never called to be elevated to by the Lord. And any time we do that, there will be division. And the second thing that we see that is exactly the same today is the twisting and the idolization of what God has made, what God has given. The Jews twisted the law. The Jews twisted the ordinance of circumcision, which was good, which was given by God. When we twist the good things that he's made, when we twist the good things that he's given and made them greater things than they actually are, it will always lead to division. Race. God made race. It's beautiful. But when we elevate it to a level that is much higher than it's supposed to be, division. Sexuality. Everything's about sexuality. It is the most important thing about you now. It is elevated to this level that it was never supposed to be elevated to. And just look at the division that's happening around us. Anytime we elevate man-made things, anytime we elevate God-given things that were supposed to be here, we put them here as an idol, it will cause division. Those are cultural things, but you can even bring this into your own family. Selfishness. Right? Like, like the God has created us, and we are wonderfully and beautifully made, but like, if you elevate yourself here, division. You elevate someone else there, division. No matter what, anytime we get that wrong, it will cause division. And here's what I also want to say, is it's not just us. In every scenario, we cannot discount the power of the enemy at work. That's what we keep going back to in this series. We started that for week one. We looked at Revelation 12, right? Jesus coming into the kingdom of darkness as the Prince of Peace, bringing the kingdom of light. We have an enemy who is at work who will influence and at times downright possess humanity towards such divisions. Like if you think what's happening with this whole sexual revolution and everything right now is just man-made, it's not. It comes straight from the depths of hell. It is an attack on what God has made. Anytime we see an attack on what God has made, what he has called good, Satan and the demonic is behind it. In church, we got to start fighting it from that perspective. You fight from a man perspective, division. No, we fight from that deeper understanding of what is actually behind this stuff. 
What is the cause behind all of this? All of this division, all of this enmity, all of this hostility, the cause is alienation from God. That's what Paul says in verse 12. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. See, we were created to have our greatest, have our highest allegiance in God. And if we don't, we will find it in something else and it will cause division. Even amongst followers of Jesus, we have to consistently assess ourselves. Is God in the place that he should or is something or someone else? We have to constantly look at that because whenever that gets twisted around, division. Paul says, listen, you are alienated from God. You're separated from Christ. You're separated from your Savior. You're separated from the people of God. You're strangers to the covenants of promise. You have no hope without God. And when you're living that way, alienated from God, division will constantly follow. So what's the solution? The only solution is the peacemaking of Jesus Christ. The Prince of Peace who came at Christmas. Paul says in verse 13, But now in Jesus Christ, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Jesus Christ came at Christmas and we celebrate him as the babe in the manger. But we look forward at Christmas to Easter Because that is why Jesus came to die on a cross and by his blood we have been brought near to God when we have faith in him and we trust in him. And being brought near to God, what Paul's saying there is you're no longer alienated. You are one in Christ when you have faith in him. You now have all of those things that you didn't have before. You now inherit the covenant promises that are all over God's word. You are now filled with hope because you are redeemed and you are reconciled to the one who made you. And Paul says when that happens, verse 14 to 16, he says, For he himself is our peace who made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances, that he might create in himself one new man in place of two, so making peace, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. Paul says Jesus is our peace. That hostility that existed between Jew and Gentile, Jesus broke it down in his body on the cross. How did he do that? How did he do that? He removed the things that caused separation by fulfilling the requirements of the law, by fulfilling the requirements of the ordinances. Jesus says in Matthew 5, 17, do not think that I have come to abolish the law. I haven't come to abolish the law, but to fulfill them. So Paul's saying Jesus fulfilled the law. He fulfilled the requirements of the ordinances. And so those things that were causing separation between Jew and Gentile, they no longer matter because Jesus fulfilled those things. And so those things that were causing separation are gone. The dividing wall of hostility are the things that Jesus came to break down that are between people. 
for Jew and Gentile, it was circumcision and uncircumcision and so many other ordinances. Today, it's race, it's sex, it's political ideologies, it's any number of things. Jesus has come to break those things down. How has he done that? He's done it by replacing them with something great. That's how he's done it. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5.1, For we know that if the tent that is our earthly home is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. In Colossians 2.11, he says, In him also you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ. So that, that dividing wall, it's gone because if you trust in Jesus, you've been circumcised, right? What is a Jew? A Jew is one inwardly in the heart. Circumcision in the heart. When you trust in Christ, you have been circumcised. Mark 14, 58. We heard him say, I will destroy this temple that is made with hands. And in three days, I will build another not made with hands. Jesus literally destroyed the temple that was causing division. He goes, I am the temple. I will rebuild it. Jesus is the temple. We become the temple of the Holy Spirit when we trust in God. Do you know in the temple in Jerusalem, it was divided by gates and by walls. And so not only was there a spiritual division, but a literal division between Jew and Gentile. If you went to see the temple, there would be the outer uh, the outer section that was called uh, the place of the Gentiles. And then there was the inner section, which was the temple proper. And separating those two places was a wall and gates. And on one of the walls, there was actually a sign that said something to the, the effect of, if you are of any other nation other than Jew and you enter this place, your death is on your own head. Yikes. <laughs> spiritual and literal separation and Jesus came and broke all of that down for us what has he done well in the same way that the circumcision of Christ ex exceeds man made circumcision and breaks down that wall of hostility between Jew and Gentile when we trust in Christ, Jesus replaces our old allegiances. Jesus replaces the things that we used to trust in with a greater allegiance to God that trumps everything else. Earthly things destroy peace between men when they become ultimate things. Divisions and distinctions no longer exist as far as our standing before God in Christ. He's broken them down. Our allegiance to Jesus is greater than our sexuality. It's greater than our race. It's greater than our political ideologies. It's greater than any other ideology that we hold. In fact, it causes those things to come into alignment with God. But it begins with our allegiance to God through Christ. 
So for followers of Jesus, we now live in this space, as Paul says in Galatians 3.28, there is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is no male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. So is those things that cause divisions? No. They're no longer where your allegiance lies. You are now all one in Christ Jesus. That's why I've said like so many times before, that's the amazing thing about church. That's the amazing thing about the body of Christ and the spirit of God at work because there are people in this room and we love each other as followers of Jesus and apart from the spirit of God, we'd never be in a room together. But the spirit of God is the most important thing. God in our lives is the most important allegiance and it brings us together in a way that nothing else could. And it trumps all other things, all other differences. That is how Christ has called us to live. That's how Jesus brings peace on earth amongst men when we are no longer alienated, but brought back into relationship with God. And that is the most important thing. All other things come under that. So just a question for reflection as we close. As a Christian in our day, do we reflect the Jew of Paul's day? As a Christian of our day, do we reflect the Jew of Paul's day? Do we make others feel despised, feel unworthy? Do we confuse that separation that we must uphold as followers of Jesus and fill it with hostility, anger, hatred? Or do we allow God to fill that space with redemption? Because that's why we're here. We are called to be a set-apart people. We are called to hold to different things, the truth of God, a different way of life. But if you fill that space between how you live and someone who doesn't know Jesus lives with anger and hostility, you've missed the heart of God. And I would call you to repentance. Let's be peacemakers and fill that space with a redemptive view. Because whoever you come into contact with where you hold a Christ-centered view and they don't, guess what your mission is? To bring them over to a Christ-centered view. That's why you're here. To not sit there and go, ugh, you're ridiculous. How do you believe that? No, we approach it from a place of, I understand why you think that, because I was once that way. I believed all those things. But God showed me a better way. Can you imagine if Christians actually approached situations like that? Instead of, ugh. Fill the space with redemption.
Heavenly Father, I pray for hardness of hearts. Unwilling hardness of hearts. It can be so challenging to be people of God in a culture that rails against you. And if we try to stand on the truth in our own strength, it will cause division. It will cause anger in our hearts. It will cause hostility between us and others. But you have come to bring peace, and you have called us to be peacemakers. So, Father, I pray right now against that hardness of heart that would look at someone with a differing view than us and think, you're not worthy. What's wrong with you? How dare you? And fill that space with anger and hostility. Father, would you break that off of our lives in Jesus' name? Father, I pray that we as a people, we would, our hearts would break. That we would renounce those times that we have spoken ill of our enemies. You call us to love our enemies. If peace is to come on this earth, we are the ones who will bring it. Because we are the ones who are filled with your spirit. So, Lord, for those in here who need a perspective change, bring it. For those in here who need their hearts softened to view those outside of Christ as someone who needs the gospel, someone who is exactly what they once were, change the hearts. Father, you are so gracious. And I'm just asking, Lord, that we would be a people who seek peace, who have the humility to be able to recognize where we add to division rather than try to be people who build bridges. Father, may we not may we not build walls, but may we open doors for people to hear the truth. May we have the same kind of heart as you. One that is a heart of patience. For you have not brought this age to an end because you are patient. Because you are waiting upon those who would repent and who would come to Christ. Give us the patience that you have, Lord. In Jesus' name.